Sometime I'm going to show you some pictures of what I wore to church when I was about uh, 10 years old, 12 years old. It's, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> um, at least my plaids matched. You know, it was like plaid, like, like you, you remember the old style thermos? Remember the th- you know what I'm talking about? So some of you all know exactly what the image that you should be picturing right now. The, the old thermos was like this, uh, this uh, picnic blanket. That's what the kind of uh, uh, pants that I wore with, uh, with a, you know, a, a matching coat and uh, starched collar and, and, and tie growing up. And growing up at, at First Presbyterian Church, downtown church, uh, where, I, where I grew up, I, uh, I, I dutifully went to church and because that's, that's just what we did. And I didn't really, <clears throat> I really didn't appreciate or, or get what the church was, that it wasn't just an institution, that it was a movement. I didn't understand really the purpose of the church and the passion of the church because the passion of one generation can become the duty of the next generation and the burden of the third. The passion, of, the passion of one generation can become the duty of the next generation and the burden to the third. I've probably mentioned before that I have an uncle who was, uh, who, who, uh, was uh, about six foot five, gravelly voice. He always, he always bought Fords. He was a very loyal, institutionally loyal kind of a guy. And that gives you a picture of what the church as I experienced it growing up, was to me. It was some institution that some genera- that, that the previous generations were loyal to supporting. I didn't make a personal and relevant connection to it until uh, I was way into my teens because I didn't really understand that the church was a movement from outsider to insider, from hurting to healing, from sitting to serving, from serving to leading, and from leading this morning, from leading to multiplying. The way that we'll, we'll, we're going to cap off this, this sermon series this morning is to bring things full circle all the way back around to the beginning, from outsider to insider, to be a multiplier. To be a multiplier is to have influence with outsiders. If, if people are going to move from outsider to insider, it's not because they drove by our sign and said, Ooh, wow, from leading to multiplying. Hmm, that looks fascinating. <laughs> I think I'm going to go there at, what was that, 850? This 850? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I've got to get the... the the light is turned green. I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and move on through the intersection. I mean, people are not going to come because they saw that sign. They're not going to come because they drove by any of these, three, these four sides of our campus. They're not going to move from outsider to insider, from hurting to healing, from sitting to serving, from serving to leading, from leading to multiplying, unless we move from leading to multiplying. And that means we need to have influence with outsiders. How do we do that? How do we have influence with outsiders? Well, we have to have an outside focus. We'll consider how by looking at Acts chapter 13. 
starting with verse 44. Hear God's word this morning. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled when the Jews, now listen, when the Jews saw the crowds, almost the whole city gathering, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, that is to the Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, everybody else, the rest of the world, outsiders. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let's pray together. Father, do bless this word that we, that we, even ones like us, may be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. The National Teacher of the Year in 1986 Guy Dowd tells one of my favorite stories about becoming an, outs- uh, a, a, an influence to outsiders. His, his daughter was afraid of the dark. And she kept calling out to him saying, Daddy, will you come up here? And Would you read me a story? Will you pray with me? Will you, will you uh, get me a glass of water? My, my leg hurts. My head hurts. You know, I mean, they're just, what, a thousand Parents, you know, there are a thousand reasons to be called after they're tucked back in. But, and he kept coming up, and, he, and he'd say to her, he'd say, he'd say honey, just, just pray to God. He's, he's with you. He's, he's with you. He'll never leave you. He, he's close at hand. He's close by. Finally, she came down, and he, he said, honey, I've told you that, that God is there with you. He's there with you in the room. And she said, I know, but I need somebody with skin on. (laughs) Nietzsche said, the love of neighbor is the only door out of the dungeon of self. The love of neighbor is the only door out of the dungeon of self. And and, and so there is really this design for us to be... Jesus with skin on to people who are outsiders for our own spiritual growth. 
doesn't happen in here unless, unless we're connecting out there. We have arrested development unless we figure out that our own spiritual growth depends upon our outward engagement. How do we, how do we have out influence with outsiders? How do we engage? We, we need to learn to have an outward focus. You can tell. I'm, I'm taking a Sharpie this morning, and I'm saying underline that. Outward focus. Outward focus. Because, you know, as I said, when I was wearing my plaid pants, I, I wasn't connecting with what the purpose of the church was. What the, and, and, and somebody put it this way. said, the church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Think about that for a minute. What? Tim, we're the dues payers here. Now, look. We're keeping the lights on. We're doing. We're faithfully standing watch. I understand all that, and I've been buttering your muffin about that for the last three years. And guess what? I love that. I, I just like saying that. I've been buttering your muffin for the last three years about your faithful commitment to this church. But a full commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ is to have an outward focus. And if you want to grow in your faith, you have to have an outward focus. How do we do that? Why should we do that? Let's ask it that way. Why should we have an outward focus? First, two reasons. First, an outward focus makes us agents rather than objects of ministry. You see, we're supposed to move from outsider to insider, from hurting to healing, from sitting to serving, from serving to leading, from leading to multiplying. And when, when we move from leading to multiplying by having an outward focus, we're no longer just objects of ministry. We're agents of mission. Agents of mission, not just objects. We're put, we put the skin on the bones of mission. We become Jesus with skin on to people who are outsiders. A couple of different people have, have talked about the two halves of life and how the first half of life I- invariably is, is this sort of self-centered stage of life where you're dealing with your issues or maybe not, where you're accumulating things around yourself, where there's a, a very self-focused. And a lot of times it's, we're very self-protective and we learn to be sort of false. So we, we, uh, we feed the imposter in us. And, and we become very self-centered, and we never shift from being the, the hero and the quarterback in every play, the hero in every room, to being able to reinvent ourselves and to be the coach on the sideline cheering somebody else on. At some stage of your life, for life to become significant and not just successful, fulfilling and not just filled up. We have to move from being the quarterback to being the coach. We need to become the wind underneath somebody else's wings. You know, some, some people really have a difficult time shifting from that self-centered first half of life success posture to a significance posture where we're outward, where we're helping other people achieve 
reinventing themselves. It's a picture of multiplication. Not, not the Herculean uh, hero who's doing the work of ten, ten people, but helping ten people to share in the work. Did you get that? That's, that's sort of a second half of life posture. position. Some people have difficulty shifting from quarterback to, to sideline, from being the hero of every play, heralded by the crowd, to being the person who's really helping the team work and helping individual heroes achieve their dreams and goals. I remember when I was, I was coaching um, uh, soccer when, when my triplets were young, and a guy came up to me, put his, I'd never met him before, but he put his arm on my shoulder and he said, I hear you're the, you're the guy to beat this year. I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. We won the championship last year. With nine-year-olds, nine-year-olds, people, nine-year-olds. I'm sitting here, I'm going, who is this guy? Why are you, why are you so bent on winning? I mean, we're trying to teach these kids how to play soccer. I hear you're the guy to beat. You know who wins the nine-year-old soccer game? The team with that one player who just, you, got, you just won the lottery, okay? You, you, you got the one player who, who actually knows how to play soccer. That's the, that's the team who, and I had that one player the year before. I was the man to beat. So, so a lot of us do have trouble shifting from quarterback to coach. We have trouble shifting from the hero of every room to being the wind underneath somebody else's wings. A lot of us have trouble shifting into that significant stage of life where we're multiplying ourselves into the lives of others. And so you see Paul facing adversity at every step throughout the book of Acts. And and it's just so clear to us, looking back on Paul's life, that the persecution he faced, the difficulty he faced, was to propel him outward. It was to move him outward. They began contradicting him and reviling him, verse 45. Paul spoke boldly, verse 46. He confronts them, verse 47. It says, uh, uh, I have made you a light to the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles, verse 48, begin glorifying the Lord because they're seeing that they're becoming the objects of God's affection. And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. The Jews incited devout women. They were even conspiring against Paul and Barnabas. And then it says this in verse 50, the Jews incited them, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them where? Out. Out of their district. Difficulty is often required to shift us from the first half of life to the second half of life. And it, and it can happen when you're 12 years old. It can happen when you're 13, 14, 15 years old where you begin to shift from saying life is all about me and centered on me. That's why Paul says to Timothy, don't, 
you know, don't, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth. If you're an outward person, then you're a leader. Then you're a multiplier. And some people go their whole lives and never make that shift. And Paul had every reason to be an institutional guy to keep his plaid pants on. He had every reason to focus on Jerusalem. He says in, in Philippians 3, he says, starting with verse 4, says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as of the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That was Paul's background. That was his resume. He had every reason to be an institutional Ford man. He had every reason to be the guy who was at the top of the pile of the institution, but he wanted to be part of a movement. He was called. His life was touched. His life was changed to be a part of the movement. That's what the book of Acts is all about, to move us from outsider to insider all the way through to where we're reaching the outsiders, multiplying ourselves. And sometimes it takes great difficulty to shift us. This is what uh, someone wrote that remains anonymous. There's no author to this one, but I think you've probably heard this before. When God wants to drill a man, to thrill a man, and to skill a man. When God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks. When his good he undertakes how he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he is about. Sometimes that shift from success to significance requires great difficulty in life to turn us from this inward to outward Focus. This past week in, in Cuba, we met a woman named Digna who had been through incredible persecution in Cuba. In 1959, the church was, was basically labeled uh, as, as something that you did not want to be a part of by the government. And there were certain people who kept the church building open, and as long as the church door stayed open every Sunday, the government would not or could not, according to their policy, close it and take the property from that fellowship of people. This one woman in particular, she's 92, 93 years old. We went and served communion in her home. And although it was one of the, the most... Um, 
dingy places I'd ever been in. And although this woman was in pretty bad shape, I have never seen such dignity. I love her name. Her name is Digna. Digna. I'll never forget. I, I'll never forget the look on her face. When we were praising and complimenting her for her commitment through those difficult decades of keeping those doors open, sometimes just two or three of them gathered together. And she said with such confidence, she said, we do all things with love. I mean, it just hit me. What a powerful commitment that she had. Because she's a Ford lady? <laughs> because she's committed to the institution of the church? No, no. Because she understands that the church is not an institution. It's a movement. It's a movement that we've been watching. And we're called to move all the way out. And so that's, that's the first reason we need to have an outward focus. The second reason is this. If we're going to be Jesus with skin on, when we are, when each one of us is, rather than, uh, than, than having the staff or a couple of people do the work of 10, having 10 people share in the work, you can go and put skin into places that I could never go. You have a sphere of influence I don't have. You have relationships in your life not by accident. I like saying it that way. There are people around you not by accident. You can say, well, they're there on purpose. I like saying it not by accident because it kind of confronts you a little bit, doesn't it? Every one of us has people in our lives around us, not by accident. And, and when we have an outward focus, we take the love of God and we put skin on it and we put it right into their lives. You know, Tom, Tom Rainer, who, who wrote a book called The Unchurched Next Door, he said this, nationwide survey, when people responded to the question, if you were invited to church, would you go? These are people who didn't go to church. They identified that they were unchurched. They don't go to church. They're not part of a church. The question was, if you were invited to go to church, would you go? 82% said yes. 82% said yes. Verse 42. As they went out, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them on the next Sabbath. <clears throat> Do you see how excited people are about a message of faith, hope, and love? We're wired for it. We need it. And some people are just in this pattern of coping. They don't have hope. They've just learned to cope with life. And unless we 
engage them in our spheres of influence, they're going to stay put in that place of just coping. They're never going to have any hope. It's required that we take skin into those places and see the response. And so we become multipliers of mission. You see? This idea of every one of us having a, a role in this mission, the idea of it, is multiplication, not addition, not, hey, y'all just, just come and, and join church and, 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 and come listen to, to the message on Sunday. But for us to live it out in those spheres of influence, it multiplies exponentially what we can do as a church. Do you know how many times you can fold a piece of paper? How many times can you fold a piece of paper? Think about it. Do you know, what would be your guess? How many times do you think you can take a, a piece of plain notebook paper? Fold, how many times do you think you can fold it? Just think in your mind. How many, don't say it out. Just think. How many times do you think you can fold a piece of paper? How many, just pick a number. You know, you cannot fold a piece of paper more than seven times. And did you know that if you folded a piece, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. But I Googled it, so it must be true. If you were able to fold a piece of paper 42 times, you would have a stack of paper that reached all the way up to the moon. To the moon! What I'm saying is, is that's a picture of multiplication. Not just a fellowship or an institution where we come and we're just we're glad about the people that are here and it's fine and, and, and we've got our little purpose here and all that and we're going to do some good deeds. That's not big enough for the human spirit. And you know it. We're called outward with a message of faith, hope, and love. And unless we move outward, we're going to stop growing. You will stop growing in your faith unless you take it out. And so that's, that's the purpose and, and reason for this very meal here that we have before us. Jesus put flesh and bones on a message. The message that we're unworthy but not worthless. He stepped all the way into human flesh. It's called the incarnation. God came near putting on human flesh. In order that, in dying, he would take on death so that we may live. If you've experienced that, if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then this table is open to you. This is a table, not as a Presbyterian table. It's not a religious table, unless you think of religion as retying. It's not just an institutional table. It is a place of relationship. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong here. And so this morning, I invite you to this table. We'll have... Uh, two different stations, one over there and one over here. Our elders will be here to serve you. They'll give you one of these wafers, and by intention, you'll dip it into the cup, and then you'll receive it into your mouth and return. You'll come by way of the center aisle and return by the side aisle. That means if you're on the wings, please go to the back and come down the center aisle. Let's pray together. 
Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this simple outward expression of your love for us. How tangibly we can see it. How powerfully you've demonstrated it. And we pray that this morning you would, you would set aside these elements, make them sacred, sanctified for the purpose that as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we may experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. See, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, having given thanks for it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, all of you, and whenever you do, remember me, Jesus said. In the same way, he took the cup, pouring it out, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my shed blood. A covenant no longer on tablets, but written on the human heart. Take and drink, all of you. And whenever you do, remember me, Jesus said. For as often as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so I invite you this morning. Come.